Well, Mel and, whoa, that is loud, sorry. Mel and worship team, I want to thank you guys so very much for that uh, awesome offertory. And if you miss Christmas Around the World, I want to make you feel really bad right now because that was just a glimpse of what happened last Sunday. No, I'm, I'm teasing as far as making you feel bad, but last Sunday afternoon was awesome. And so thanks for singing again. It's great. And just what an offertory to our Lord Jesus. Uh, he is coming. And as you saw in the video, come Lord Jesus, come. We are in Advent. Today is the third Sunday of Advent. Some people think, okay, so why do you like the pink candle on the third Sunday instead of the fourth? That's because it's a shift. The first two Sundays of Advent focus on the promise of Jesus' second coming. The second two Sundays, we then begin to focus on his first coming Christmas, which is only 10 days away. It's hard to believe. Now, I know because I've heard from some of you that you can't wait till it's January. You've been so busy and there's so many things going on that you're just ready for January. And I want to encourage you as much as you can, take a big step back. You don't have to get presents or make cards for everyone. And really rest in the fact that Jesus has come once and he's coming again. With that, let's stand and let's open our Bibles to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation 19, we've been in Revelation the past couple Sundays in Advent. And we're going to start in verse 6 and read down to verse 16. Revelation 19, 6 through 16. The heading on your Bible in this chapter for chapter 19 might say celebration in heaven. It's also the hallelujah chapter of the New Testament. The only place where hallelujah is written in the New Testament. Revelation chapter 19, verse 6. Then I heard something like the voice of a vast multitude, like the sound of cascading waters, and like the rumbling of loud thunder, saying, Hallelujah, because our Lord God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us be glad, rejoice, and give him glory, because the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has prepared herself. She was given fine linen to wear, bright and pure, for the fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. He also said to me, These words of God are true. Then I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, Don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers and sisters who hold firmly to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, because the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Then I saw heaven opened, and there was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True, and he judges and makes war with justice. His eyes were like a fiery flame, and many crowns were on his head. He had a name written that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. The armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses, wearing pure white linen. A sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God, the Almighty. And he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for this incredible day. 
And Jesus, just reading this passage again, I have so many thoughts going in my brain. The imagery, the symbolism, the meanings of it all. And yet there's one great promise, and Jesus, you will return. May we be ready for your return, King Jesus. May we walk in humble love to you, offering ourselves as a living sacrifice to you, Heavenly Father, holy and pleasing to you. Holy Spirit, be our teacher. Bring encouragement, bring strength, bring comfort, bring conviction of sin, bring healing. Touch us and overwhelm us with your love and your goodness. And we thank you, Jesus. And we ask all these things in your precious name. Amen and amen. And you may be seated. There are two main themes in this passage. One is a marriage feast. The other is a battle, a war. And I've been bouncing back and forth all week long, which to focus on. Because to be honest, there's not enough time to focus on both. So I just figure put it in a blender and let's see just what comes out this morning. So that's what we're going to do. To start, I have a question. What, was, what has been the greatest party that you've ever been part of? The greatest party that you've ever been to, part of. It could be your own party, a wedding, a birthday party, a graduation party. Think about it. It could be some party that you were part of when you were five or seven or ten. What's the greatest party you've ever been to and why? What happened at that party? Was it the food? Was it the fellowship? Was it the laughter? Was it the presence? What was it? To be honest, mine was my wedding. And I'm not just saying that so I don't get in trouble when I go home. It was. It was my wedding. And it was amazing. And I love doing weddings. Usually when I do a wedding and I did my nephews last summer in June, they're expecting a baby in June. So my little brother is going to be a grandpa. That is sobering. And after the wedding, I ran out because they got married in a barn. Hopefully their baby won't be born in a barn. And I was like, let's do it again. I just love weddings. And when I think about Christy and I, when we got married and all the friends who came in, our family members, people I haven't seen in forever, tons of people I didn't know, but Christy sure knew. It was awesome. There was only one downer in the wedding. After the wedding, and we got married here in Nashville, Everybody went to the reception, and the limousine that was supposed to pick us up never came. We waited, and we waited, and we waited, and we were late to our own wedding party. We got there, and they had been waiting on us. All the hors d'oeuvres were already eaten. All the pictures were taken out. But it was awesome. A wedding feast, and that's what we see here. And we're going to hit Revelation. We're going to hit these verses real fast. The context of Revelation, from we were looking at Revelation 4 and 5 the past two Sundays, and then from chapter 6 all the way up through chapter 18, is a huge description, and it's all this symbolism about the bowls of God and the wraths of God and the seals that are all broken up, and God pouring out his wrath upon injustice, upon the evil of this earth. And it talks all about that. And there are seven major interpretations of Revelation, and we're not going to go through those seven interpretations today. But there's incredible debate within theologians themselves about all this meaning that's throughout Revelation. And then we get here in chapter 19. And if you look back at verse 1, and it will not be up on the screen. I didn't give it to Chris back there, so please don't blame him. 
But John is saying, after this, I heard something like the loud voice of a, ma- of a vast multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and honor belong to our God. And this vast multitude began to praise and worship our Heavenly Father. Remember, Revelation is so much more about worshiping God than anything else. As a child, when I was in the church, I loved to read Revelation. Didn't understand a thing, but all the battles and the wars, and it's amazing. A couple years ago, Sammy was reading the book of Revelation, and he had tons of questions about it. And he was just, oh, Dad, what does this mean? What does this mean? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. It's so confusing. But the main point of Revelation is glory and honor and praise and majesty to our King of Kings. And so John is getting another vision of heaven, of seeing this multitude praising the only one who's worthy of all praise. And they, cl- they declare from verse 1 through 5 that God has poured out his wrath upon Babylon, which is the evil and ways of this world, to put it most succinctly. There are signs of symbolism with it. But basically they're saying God has ruled and he's judged and he's king and he brings his justice. And then right here in verse 6, look at what John says. Then I heard something like the voice of a vast multitude, like the sound of cascading waters and like the rumbling of loud thunder. We've talked about that in the past, but can you imagine the type of worship service that John is experiencing here in heaven where there's thousands upon thousands upon thousands of angels surrounding the throne? By the way, no one has come to me about how many angels are around heaven by using the math in Revelation 4. So none of you are getting coffee or coke for me. You haven't done it yet. But what is thousands times ten thousands times ten thousands? Of these angels. And I can imagine them when, we, when they watch us worship here. And this is no offense to Mel or any worship leader on the planet. But they're like, oh, isn't that so cute? My mom has videos of Sammy and Eric when they're four and two doing communion, Eucharist services in my mom's house, imitating our church service. And it is so cute. It's adorable. Oh, isn't that sweet? But can you imagine what the worship and praise that John is experiencing here in heaven as he sees heaven open up? And he hears these voices, a multitude of voices. And look at what they say. They say hallelujah, which is praise God. Yah, the last three letters, J-A-H, is short for Yahweh. Let Yahweh be praised because our Lord God, the Almighty. Think about what they're saying, our. Our God, our Lord God, the Almighty. How, How powerful is Almighty? It's not some distant God, but it's our Lord God. And He is the Almighty One. And when we line our life up, our problems, our issues, our trials, our temptations, our losses, and our griefs, put all of that in the hands and the light of the Almighty. What can He do with that? What can He do with that? They continue... Because the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has prepared herself. She was given fine linen to wear, bright and pure. They're singing about the marriage of Jesus and his bride who is the church. Now this is all symbolic. But marriage between a man and the woman is the mo- should be 
the most intimate relationship that humans can have. It should be. It's where a man and a woman become one flesh. Physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And it's symbolic. So when God talks about, we see this image of Christ and the church, a marriage coming together. We are called human beings. We were created for relationship. Someone told me this morning before the service, right now in this generation, this is the most loneliest, that's horrible English, the most lonely generation on the planet, and yet we're the most connected through social media. Yet there's a major disconnect because how we were created, we were created to have relationship with one another face-to-face, not screen-to-screen, and relationship. So it's talking about how God's people come together with Jesus in this deep, holy, righteous, true, humble, real, intimate relationship a marriage feast, and weddings back in the first century lasted a year. You would get, you would get um, what's the word, not ordained, holy cow. You would become engaged, a man and woman, Mary and Joseph. And they would basically be married for a year except for the physical sexual union. And then there would be the wedding feast, the wedding ceremony, when the groom would actually come for his bride. And then there would be a seven-day party where there was a party for a week. Now, having lived in Mexico, that's given me a greater appreciation of parties because they know how to party in Mexico. Amazing meals and music, and it would go on and on and on. And that's what, this, that's what these company, the company of hosts here in heaven, they're talking about how God is bringing his people back together with him forever. We're going to continue to go on, but it talks about how the bride is in fine linens, and the fine linens represent the righteous acts of the faith. Those righteous acts, first and foremost, foremost is our faith in Christ. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, it says, We have been saved by what? Grace. Through faith. And this is not from ourselves. It's a gift. If you look here in Revelation, she was given fine linen. We are given faith. We are given salvation. It is all by God's great grace and mercy. It's a gift, and it's faith in Jesus Christ. We cannot earn it. We can't work for it so that no one can boast. That's what Ephesians talks about. But these righteous acts, it's not just our faith, but it is our good works that we do in faith, through faith, by faith in Jesus Christ. Because Ephesians 2.10, and it's just one verse of many, it says, for we are his workmanship. We are God's trophies. He's created us for purpose. First and foremost, a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. Secondly, it is to do good works. It is to serve him. It's to walk in humble obedience. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey me. We don't obey Jesus so that we'll be loved by Jesus. We obey him because he first loved us. And out of a love relationship with him, we walk in obedience because we are his workmanship created for good works. He is the one who makes us holy. He is the one that makes us pure. He is the one that gives us new life. 
And these angels, these multitude of hosts here are talking about this amazing wedding celebration. So that question I asked you guys at the beginning, what's the greatest party you've ever been to? This is the greatest party we'll ever be at. If you love Jesus, if you put your faith in Jesus, you are part of his bride. And one day he will return. He won't return as some little cute little chubby little baby in a manger. But he will return as the righteous king of kings and lord of lords. And as it says here, it says he has a sword coming out of his mouth. Please don't take that literally. Let's continue reading. Look at what verse 9 says very quickly. Verse 9, then he said to me, write. This is an angel talking to John. Write, blessed are those invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. He also said these words of God are true. Jesus is coming back. The world will try to convince us otherwise. But he is coming back. And he is bringing his righteous wrath with him. Woe to those who are not found in Christ. These words of God are true. And then this is almost comic relief. It's not comical, but look how John responds. Then I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said, don't, no, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant. Can you imagine how majestic this angel must be? Where John bows and begins to worship this angel. This angel's like, no, 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 no. I'm a servant just like you. How easy it is for us to have idols in our life. It could be ourself. It could be our feelings. It, we, many times we worship worship. It could be our past. It could be our future. It could be our money. It could be our time. It could be our own self-actualization. It could be our family. It could be our marriage. It could be our future, our career. Are there any idols in your life that need to be taken down that you're worshiping? That you need to lay at Jesus' feet and repent from? John continues. Verse 11, and we're going to jump down. We've got something really fun here in a few minutes. John then says, I see heaven opened, and there was a white horse, and its rider is called Faithful and True, one of Jesus' many names. What does faithful mean? Reliable, trustworthy, holy, solid, sure, true. It's what is righteous. There is no falsehood found in him faithful to fulfill his promises. And he's riding on a white horse and he judges and he makes war with justice. His eyes were like fiery flame. The wisdom, the symbolism of eyes is of wisdom and omniscience. He knows all things. And he has many crowns on his head. Again, don't take it literally. That just means he's all powerful. He had a name written that no one knows except himself. We're going to stand in awe of Jesus for all eternity because he is so amazing and he's so infinite and eternal that it will take infinity to know him completely. He wore a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the Word of God. 
that blood that he's been dipped in was his own blood that he shed on the cross for you and for me. The armies that were in heaven followed him, and they're all on white horses wearing pure white linen. A sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it, and he will rule with an iron rod. He will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God, the Almighty. We were talking in the Spanish Bible study class today, and someone, I think it was Noel, mentioned that God poured all of his righteous, holy anger upon Jesus himself on the cross. And that is what this refers to. He carries God's righteous anger and vengeance. And God poured it out upon Christ on the cross. And when Jesus comes back as the eternal righteous king and judge, he will judge all things. He will make all things right. This white horse that it talks about, back during the time of Rome, the generals would ride into the conquered cities on a white horse. A white horse was not a horse of battle but of victory. He's already won the war. And his armies are riding on what? White horses. This is a victory parade. They're not marching into battle. They've already won. They have already won the war. And this is what John is saying. And then how does he close? On his robe and on his thigh is written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. There are a couple things I want to close with, and I know we went very fast with this passage. Reread it this week. Ask Holy Spirit to speak with you. But going back to what is the greatest party you've ever been part of? It could have been your kindergarten, first year, seven-year-old, five-year-old birthday party when you turned 21, 28, 15, your wedding. Who knows? But the greatest party and feast that we'll ever be part of if we're believers in Jesus is this wedding feast right here that's described in Revelation 19. And there's a couple things I want to leave with you here. One is this. Have you responded to God's wedding invitation? Jesus talked a whole lot about weddings and his teachings and parables. And he always advised, woe to those who are outside, who are standing outside and the doors have closed. Jesus is calling and God desires for all men and women to be saved. And if you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you have not responded by saying yes to his wedding invitation. He stands at the door and knocks. Anyone who hears his voice and opens the door of our hearts, he will come in and commune with that person. Scripture is very clear. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. That is responding to his wedding invitation. The second one is this. Fight the good fight of faith. Even though Jesus has won the battle, won the war over sin and death, there are still many battles in our life, and Paul talks a lot about fighting the good fight, running the race until its end. You all know very well, we live in a world with trials and temptations and disappointments and griefs. And God calls us to keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, to fight the good fight of faith. Fight of faith. Do not throw in the towel, but trust in the Holy Spirit to persevere to the end. God is faithful to reward you. Number three, 
whom has God placed in your life to share the good news of Jesus? Christmas is coming. We talk a lot about gospel conversations. This message about Christ needs to be shared, and it's all of our responsibilities to do so. Who has God placed in your life to share the good news of Jesus with? He's calling them to his wedding, to be part of his bride, but they need to know. Finally, this one, well, actually, it's two more. Know and trust that King Jesus will return and make everything right. And finally, this last one. Align our heart, mind, life, and actions to the Lordship of Jesus. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. Have you surrendered everything to Him? We're going to take 120 seconds of silence and allow Holy Spirit to speak to us. I want to invite everybody to please stand. And let's just let Holy Spirit, He is our teacher. He is God Himself. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, now as we stand here in quiet, speak to our hearts with what we've heard today. Father, we want to thank you so much because, Jesus, you will return. And you're calling out even now inviting those to your wedding, calling all men and women to repent, to turn from their sin, to place their faith in you, King Jesus. Father, touch us and fill us. May we walk in humble obedience to your name as we joyfully wait for your return. Thank you, Lord. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated.